Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar doing some uh, social media there as we've got uh, some video of Kevin e. Martin earlier just just dropping cusses on the air. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Now, she did a great job in hour number one. Check out archives of the show, lbsportsnetwork.com. Willie's here. It's Cofield. Some headlines at five in just a second. want to remind you, Las Vegas Aviators on an extended home series continue tonight, tomorrow, and Sunday against the uh, – I have the wrong team. No, they are still playing the Salt Lake Beach, yeah. Uh, free beanie tonight, free jersey Saturday. Kids run the bases on Sunday, so get up and get your tickets for Aviators Baseball this weekend right here in Las Vegas. I saw a story last night. I think it was uh, Mr. Scoop, Chris Matthews from 8 News Now, who reported this one, or uh, he, he retweeted it. It was John Heyman from the New York Post with word that Las Vegas chatter ramps up around the embarrassing athletics. And the first thing I thought of was, where are you hearing about this Las Vegas chatter, John Heyman? I 100% agree with how you. I sent it over to you and how you sent it back, clickbait. Um, and that's why I put it in there because it's it, – what's funny is if you open up this story, it is it, it, it reeks of clickbait because there's four paragraphs and the paragraphs are each one sentence long and then it goes through – there's a long horizontal rule – and it's broken up into notes. So it doesn't look like a typical notes column where you have a bolded mini headline, so on and so forth. They're just broken up by horizontal rules with one-liners throughout the entire thing. And he just led that. Yeah. So, I mean, because the New York Post with a headline, Las Vegas chatter ramps up around embarrassing athletics, is completely going to make someone click. And then, I mean, I could read this quicker than uh, than the next topic we'll bring up. There's extra buzz lately about an A's move to Las Vegas. Though two sources close to the situation deny anything is imminent. Baseball has done a good job preventing crazy movement, but time should be up for Oakland. Meanwhile, on the field, the A's are an embarrassment. The A's are like the movie Major League. It's like they're trying to lose, one rival exec said. A's execs have been brilliant through the years, winning on a shoestring, but they've hit it low. The problem with this is the headline doesn't even match what this guy wrote. Yep. So maybe that's the issue. It's not the writer, it's the headline writer's. Because there is no source, unless it's one of the sources, the two unnamed sources, but there's no source on the ground in Las Vegas. I mean, do people here talk about Major League Baseball coming to Vegas? Yes. Um, have we heard from anyone that's actually a power broker saying anything about the A's? No. So no. I don't know how much chatter there is right now, right now around Las Vegas. Uh, a lot of our chatter has been, well, thank God Salt Lake and Nashville have some interest in Major League Baseball. Maybe they can save us from the A's. That would be great. I still want our own team and call it the Expos. Why the Expos? I just like the name. But I, I, I'm an original Montreal. I mean, I remember when the Montreal Expos, and, and I can't remember. It was like an exposition, right? So Expos, I think it ties in like the convention. We're, we're a convention city. So Las Vegas Expos. Las Vegas Conventioneers. No, nah, Expos. Bring back the Expos. Bring back the logo. Bring back the feeling of Gary Carter. Well, you don't want to bring back the Montreal Expos logo, which actually was an M. It was that even got a laugh out of yeah, Angel, yeah. who I don't, think, <laughs> I don't think listens that closely, but that one got him. Well, you can you can create an L and an a L B with, with, the the, with those colors in the same sort of logo theme. Okay. Okay, little, I can little, go with that. little skyline in the background. Yeah. But what I don't want is 
to recreate like the expansion era expos because that's what the A's are right now. Yes. I want the Rays. I know you do. I shudder in fear to look at the score because I bet against the Rays every day because when you're a, a hack better, that's what you do. Instead of riding the hot streak, you try to stop it. They're losing. I feel like they haven't been trailing in any games all year. They were trailing yesterday before they made the big run. Ah, good, good point. Good correction. You're right. They were. They were down 3-1, and they wound up winning 9-3, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yep. That's when you, that's when you got to go and play. You have money. They, they fall behind. You have money on the opposite side to see if you get the plus number back. And they immediately went. They didn't just come back gradually. They came back in one inning. Yeah. I think they put like six or seven across. They're, uh, the Rays are 13-0. and They're losing 2 nothing right now in the fourth against Toronto. This streak, now one, it has been against some pretty lousy teams. I don't think the Red Sox are a lousy team, but some of the other teams they beat, because part of it did come against the A's, where they beat them 33-5 to in three games. But it's the 13-0 and and the way it's been done. Because if I'm correct... Willie, I think you're twelve and one on the run line. Run line. I'm talking about being a sucker. Run line bets are horrible in baseball. Oh, the sucker bets. Twelve and one. So, I'll bring up a, a, a goofy note, and I'm sure there's some people out there who play fantasy baseball that will laugh at this one because I'm laughing. In uh, I have an American League fantasy league that I'm in, and getting the Rays closer is never like a great proposition, especially if in an auction league, will you pay a lot of money for them? Because the Rays throughout the year will have like seven guys who have between three and, you know, 12 saves. So I got Pete Fairbanks, who's the the, you know, the favorite to be the closer. They're 13-0, and but like I said, they're 12-1 and on the run line. He's got one save. They're 13-0. and Their closer has one save. They haven't needed him. No. There's no tight games. Plus, plus 71 run differential going into today. That is so crazy. Plus... 71. Let me do the math for you. So we're like, what, 5.8 five, five runs a 5. game? 5.46. Ah, okay. Not bad. Yeah. That's pretty good. And from an organization that has stadium issues, has payroll limitations, and is poorly attended. And outside of the one-run win sound, over sound Boston. Yeah. Outside of the one-run over Boston. There's only one other game where they've won by two. Everything else has been four or more. It's pretty amazing. They're down two nothing right now to Toronto on the road. Oh, two to one. Here they come. That's Here they come. Shouldn't have done it. Here it comes. About. Here it comes. It's like talking about a no hitter. I'm gonna speak ignorantly, but I'm proud to do this. I feel like Salt Lake and Nashville are perfect places to be gullible enough to build a stadium for the A's with some public money. And as we pointed out. Officially, unofficial, unofficially, I guess it would be officially, unofficial, whatever. Uh, baseball behind the scenes has indicated that they want at least $300 million in public money for any stadium that is built for a future expansion team or a team move. And right now, I believe there are $0 available publicly unless it was some sort of incentive. But I don't think it would come from the public kitty, the, right. the taxpayers. They'd get, the A's would get $300 million thrown into a stadium. So maybe we're out. Maybe we're, maybe we're already out. I'll tell you what we can be thankful for. We can be thankful for the Golden Knights, for the Aces, and the Raiders. So a lot of people may say, damn it! 
Ever since now everybody wants to come here because of the, because we got the golden. No, actually, be thankful because you know what? Now Vegas isn't that desperate to get a pro team. We can wait. Vegas can sit back and tell you, say, you know what? We're good. We want the right situation. We want the right situation, and we can wait because we have the world champion aces. We have a Golden Knights team that's been in the playoffs five of the first six years. They've won the Pacific Division three of those years. Oh, yeah, we got the Raiders. We can actually be pragmatic and not step into situations with professional sports, major league sports, that may be losers. And I don't mean on the field. I mean at the gate and with attendance. Right. We don't have to do this. The greatest quote in this in that story at the post was the, was the was the unnamed exec that said it's like the movie Major League. It kind of is. It is. So, so, I like so think A's about tonight. something we talked about. This is where baseball baseball's commissioner office of the last forty years, Seelig and now Bobby Manfred. Think about what we talked about last hour. The NBA fine. Dallas, $750,000 for making a joke of its playoff system, its play-in playoffs. The Oakland A's are intentionally going out and trying to win like 45 games, and Major League Baseball doesn't say boo. Doing nothing last year to improve upon a situation in which rats were showing up in the press box or in the visitor's locker room doing nothing to help their situation in order to possibly better their situation, personally sabotaging their own team. Baseball's just, eh, whatever. That's the way baseball works. Do they care about the fans? Do we want a league like that in this town? That's what I've been saying the whole time. Bring on Major League Soccer. I'm very leery about Major League Baseball and the way it treats its fans. And if they think that, you know, making the bases bigger and shortening the games by 15 minutes, we're all going to forget. This can happen in any city, just about any city, where they just decide to take 10 years off and just make some money but not really try to compete. Meanwhile, the NBA is finding teams for not trying to make the playoffs, finding them. Okay. Cofield and Company, Willie Ramirez, Steve Cofield, ESPN Las Vegas Journal Friday. Very interesting story up on ESPN.com around the Raiders-Giants trade with Darren Waller. The Giants writer wrote this one. Jordan Rannan. Yeah. Pretty good story. I think it's missing a lot of the inside dope about the unhappiness of the Raiders brass with Waller and also vice versa. Believe me, Darren Waller is not, I'm sure he's, you know, not sitting there with Plum going, you know what, I, I, man, I never saw this coming and I love the Raiders. I'm sure there was some dissension. Yes. A little bit annoyed with the Raiders and we brought up the story many times with Derek Carr calling him out, basically saying, Hey, this guy doesn't want to play. He's not willing to put into his body what I put into my body to go out there and play. But what do you think of the story about who Darren Waller is and how the whole thing came together with the Giants and the Raiders? Well, you did see at the end of this article our boy Paul Gutierrez, he contributed to it. So I'm wondering if the quotes, some of the quotes from Waller says the day after being traded, but some of them I'm not sure if, if Paul got a hold of them. But I thought it was just an overall, it was an interesting piece just in general of, of how they went about writing it and how things went down in sort of a chronological way because the headline, I mean, how the Giants landed Darren Waller from a $51 million contract to a trade. Now, what's funny is, if I'm not mistaken, the original headline, and I don't say it, it, it included the 186 days, 186 days after Ziegler and McDaniel signed Waller to a three-year, $51 million extension. Um, 
to make him one of the highest paid tight ends. It talks about how he got back from his honeymoon and less than 24 hours after he got back from Turks and Caicos, that's when he found out he was being traded, um, took him by surprise, said he did not see it coming. Um, But you're right because there was obviously something going on, Steve. Here's the thing. I don't necessarily know at this point anymore if it was a Josh McDaniels, Josh McDaniels, Dave Ziegler, Darren Waller thing. I think that there were some components of the previous personnel in which, as a whole, had an issue with McDaniels' personality and how he came in. Otherwise... There would be other people still here. Derek Carr, right, Darren Waller. The only person that realistically is here from previous is Josh Jacobs. In reality, he brought Devontae Adams in. So prior to that, who's still here as far as offensive skill position players? Everybody's gone. So it's not just a Darren Waller thing. It's obviously a personality conflict. The only difference, here's what we said last year around this time, when Josh McDaniels was named and we were approaching the draft, so on and so forth, what, what, what do we say? Did Josh McDaniels, what do we ask? Did Josh McDaniels learn his lesson from his days in Denver and how he was with the Broncos when he came in, disrupted things, wanted his things his way, changed the decor, took pictures down, changed this, changed that. Patriots way. Everything is about the Patriots. Okay, so he did it in year two. He did it at the end of year one and into year two instead of when he first got here. He slowly dislodged components of this team that everyone got used to, whether it was in the locker room, the fans, Mark Davis, whomever, and he's just done it to start year two. That's all. Now, that doesn't make him a bad person. If he comes out and wins and builds his team properly, maybe he's, there's other mistakes that he needed to learn in Denver and how to actually be a head coach. We haven't seen it yet, so can't judge. But he now has his team that he wanted, his players that he wanted, to create the Patriots West way, in which he says it's not the Patriots West. But this last year... I'm going to go ahead and give – I judged him all the time, right? I blamed a lot of the stuff on him. Down the stretch, Derek had some issues, Derek Carr. But this season, it's all on him, 100%, because he has now pushed people out and created his team. So he better perform. Join Willie Ramirez this Monday, Twin Peaks, to open up the Stanley Cup playoffs. Twin Peaks on Eastern. Happy hour goes down from 2 to 7. Select apps, 2 4 and $6. Got the 29-degree freezing cold draft beer. Uh, dollar off that, dollar off wine, dollar off liquor. Again, 2 to 7. There's also a late night happy hour. But Willie will be there from 4 to 6.30, 4 to 6.30. Twin Peaks on Eastern with Willie Ramirez for the beginning of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Keep it locked right here. Cofield and company will return in minutes on ESPN Las Vegas. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. And down here at TI, Cofield and Company. Some people coming in from the pool. It's getting there, right, Willie? The weather's getting there. It's close. You're going to be going to the pool? 
Uh, hotel been, pools? I've been. Uh, I have one at home. So, at some point, the uh, the hotel pools will start to kind of blow out your budget. I did it a lot about ten years ago. Believe it or not, I found out that there's a couple off strip properties that cater to the locals, and yeah. it's not that bad okay. price wise. Yeah, yeah. A couple of the Vivas for the Golden Knights, their servers oh, is that there. Right? They've said, "Yeah, will you ever want to come Let's down?" Let's keep that between us. No, I'm I need gonna, the snitches. I'm not going to reveal which. One. I need the snitches. Yeah, uh, I need a snitch on the NHL playoffs. Some of the series odds. Uh, let's see, Oilers over Kings minus two forty, Bruins two seventy five against the uh, Panthers, Carolina over the Islanders one ninety five. We mentioned the uh, Knights only one fifty over the Jets. Rangers are a dog against the Devils, and then uh, Tampa with all that winning in their past, high level winning plus one thirty five against the Leafs. It would be easy for me to. Choose the Rangers at a plus money, but the Devils have been incredible offensively. They actually one of the most pr- prolific teams since late November. Um, Rangers, of course, are dying to get back to the Eastern Conference Final, where they lost last year to Tampa Bay. Um, it would be simple to take them, but out of this lot that you've given me, it's not my favorite. It'd be real easy, as I mentioned earlier in the show. The Golden Knights at minus one hundred and fifty. I think it's still a value play there. All things considered, um, with what Winnipeg hasn't been in terms of consistency and how Vegas has found ways to win, um, Carolina's scary good. Islanders might win a few games there or a couple of games there. I, it, I, they're not going to push it to seven. Boston is heavily favored. Edmonton's heavily favored. Three-time defending Eastern Conference champions, and even though he may no longer be considered the greatest goaltender in the world, you're giving me plus money with Andre Vasilevsky and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah, I think for value purposes, that's where my first hundred bucks is going. Is on the Tampa Bay Lightning to win that series. For that, for those reasons in general. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Willie G Ramirez, or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. You heard it. Former UNLV quarterback, analyst, NFL insider, also a Lakers fan. Caleb, do your Lakers actually have a shot to win the t- – I can't even get it out. Uh, to win this series. How about that? Say it with your chest, Steve. Yes. Say it with pride. <laughs> no, they do. I think, the, I, think, I think the Lakers have a chance in every series, I guess, in the Western Conference this year. And that's – I mean, that's not really just a fan. That's honestly just a basketball fan not just a laker fan i am that though i think laker fan probably could have come first on your list of things that i've done or been in my life um but i honestly think the lakers playing at their best right now since the 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 trade and the roster kind of being revamped um when they play their best and that's like a a, it's not a for sure thing but it's hard to see a team beating them four games um in a seven game series it's hard to see it um, and that's with the experience of LeBron, the mismatch that is Anthony Davis that I think he has. He's, he's a favored mismatch um, for every superstar in the, in the Western Conference except for maybe the Joker. And I don't know how much they'd actually guard each other. But as far as the Western Conference, uh, the best player on the court for the Lakers is a mismatch problem for every other team. Um, so I, I take that all day. But it's going to require LeBron James playing off the ball, which is going to mean D'Angelo Russell is going to have to play big minutes and, and not only give you two points uh, like he did against the Timberwolves. This is a terrible game for him. Um, but there's a lot that has to go right for it to happen. But I think the Lakers could legitimately be a contender if they if they uh, play well on offense and obviously bring the defensive heat. So it's realistic. It's realistic. I think the playoffs will be fun. 
either way for for the entire uh, NBA playoffs. But as a Laker fan, I, I, I'm optimistic that they do have an actual shot. It's not just a a, a dream scenario. They, they may be a contender this year. 17-7 and seven since February 15th, and they're averaging 117.7 points per game. Importantly, they're holding teams to uh, 45% shooting in that span. So as you said, since mid-February is when we've seen this surge. And I'm with you, Caleb. Uh, when this team is fully healthy, which it is, and I think that they're sort of playing a little low-key in terms of Eh, they're questionable well, but I think that these guys are ready to come out and with the experience that they have, Memphis is good, but they're still young, and uh, I'm right there with you. And I'm a Laker fan, and I'm not just saying it because of that, uh, but I, I think that they, if they pound the offensive glass and they use their experience, I, I think they have a chance to get out of this round. Yeah, I, I think the, the playoffs, the game slows down. Uh, for sure, which favors the Lakers and, and where they're dominant. Um, you know, the schedule set, you know where you're going. Travel is not necessarily an issue. Um, the minutes, I think Darvin Ham's going to have to uh, make some some regular season to play off adjustments with his rotation. I think that was on display in the play-in. I think the rotation has to tighten up a little bit um, with everybody healthy. Um, but, I, I, I mean, I, like I said, I don't see the Lakers with their experience, the way they play defense when they want to. Um, which they need to want to all the time, the way they play defense as of late. Um, and Schroeder, with his bench minutes, I think the depth is a little bit better than it has been in the past. I I legit see them as being a problem for everybody. Nobody, Nobody's going to say that it, they'd be shocked if the Lakers win a series. Right. Uh, especially, you know, Memphis is a great team, but I'm, I wouldn't be shocked that the Lakers beat them. There's a lot of teams that are great, but it wouldn't shock me that if the Lakers knocked them off. Um, so I'm, I'm excited. I want to see, um, you know, things kick off Saturday. I don't think the Lakers don't play Saturday, but um, the playoffs start tomorrow and it's going to be fun i think basketball playoffs is one of the top things in sports along with mlb playoffs and obviously super bowl is up there but uh anytime the nba playoffs are kicking off and the fans are in full swing again it's going to, somebody said something about this the first it, it would be lebron james's first playoff run or maybe his second or third playoff game played at uh bitcoin what is it what is it now not staples center but in la because you know the championship run was in the bubble crypto uh the championship run was in the bubble so it wasn't in front of L.A. You know, it wasn't in front of home fans. Then they missed the playoffs for a year, you know, one of LeBron's years. And they only played a couple, I think, before that. So it's going to be a, 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 the first time that L.A. has actually seen Laker basketball in the playoffs in a long time. So I'm excited about that fact. We'll see. All, all, all of the California teams are in there. So West Coast, you know, California kid till I die. So it's going to be fun to see who actually is the king of California when it's all said and done. Well, you make mention there, first uh, time since 1985, all Cali teams make the playoffs. I tweeted out, I I'm excited, just beyond that, big state markets back in the postseason business is, was my tweet, both hockey and NBA. In California, you got the Lakers, the Clippers, the Kings, the Warriors, and the L.A. Kings. And in New York, New Jersey metro area, you got the Knicks, the Nets, the Rangers, the Islanders, and Devils. Man, California and New York, back in business. Caleb, are you going to look? I mean, it's uh, good for TV. Yeah, Caleb, are you going to look at it like uh, <laughs> some Mountain West Conference fans were saying that they were going to root for San Diego State in the Final Four and the final? You going to root for all the California teams in the NBA? It's good for California. California gets bashed all the time. Let's root for all the California teams. Absolutely not. That exactly. that, that rule exactly. does not transfer. It. I'm I'm a Laker fan, and that that means something, right? There's there's like a, a difference there. 
especially when you look at the rest of the calendar. Like, I will never root for the Slippers. That's just not going to happen. <laughs> um, uh, the Kings were like when I was the, my Laker glory days growing up was the Kings Lakers in the playoffs was a they were our yeah. rival. They were like yep. the next big team in California. The Warriors were irrelevant during my childhood. So I, I, I couldn't have told you who was on their roster back then. Um, so that's a recent phenomenon. And there's a lot of, you know, Warrior fans that came out of the woodworks in the last decade or so. Um, and you understand why, you know, the team that's been hot. But the California team is the Los Angeles Lakers. There's no doubt about that. And I've been that since I was knee high to a grasshopper. There's no way I'm rooting for anybody else for sympathy reasons or for regional respect, right? Like California, first of all, has gotten its due respect. It's just that it's all gone to the Lakers because the rest of the teams were irrelevant. So um, outside of that, I'm excited that the Kings are back in the playoffs. That's pretty cool. Um, they got a thing going with the beam being lit. It was great for the regular season, but they've never been here before. Nobody on the roster really has any major playoff experience. Mike Brown won coach of the year. That's, that's good for him. But the playoffs are a different animal. And anybody, uh, any league expert that's played in or coached in it knows it's different. Um, we'll see if their style of play stands up. But it's cool that all teams are from California there. But there's only one team in California that matters in my eyes, and that's what are the Lakers doing? And it, it, you can look at TV ratings, you know, who gets the games or whatever. Everybody knows wh who drives the ship in California. It's the, the team in purple and gold, Los Angeles Lakers all day. Caleb Herring, football insider, former UNLV quarterback. Uh, I want your take on the uh, Ben Roethlisberger explanation of Lamar Jackson not being good in the pocket or describing his game. Ari, give us Big Ben here. With Lamar, you want to bring safeties down to stop, help stop the run because you're not, you don't really fear Lamar's arm, um, his accuracy all the time. Sure, he's got a huge arm; he can make things happen when he scrambles and whatever. But you don't fear him just sitting in the pocket and picking you apart. Sure. So you can bring safeties down because you you do fear him running because he's different level runner okay is he right that you don't fear him in the pocket people immediately put out numbers and they were like hey big ben he's actually got better numbers as a pocket passer i'm not sure what that means though so what do you think of what big ben was saying i think it's the common misconception when you have athletic quarterbacks that are dangerous running um and this is kind of the the nail in the thorn of guys who can run and can make plays with their legs going back to you know michael vick and and others since him that are phenomenal runners, Lamar Jackson being probably one of the best of all time at it. You might not, you might bring a safety down because you're scared of him running. And you might be more scared of how he can hurt you with his legs because that's what you see. That's the big play um, of the scramble play. That does not automatically mean that he's not good at passing from the pocket. And this is the most frustrating thing to defend because that was the question mark coming out of Louisville. When you get enamored by highlights, by the big plays that a guy can make, and you, what makes him special and unique becomes his defining characteristic, you completely throw aside everything else that's good about him. I'm not saying Lamar Jackson's Tom Brady from the pocket or Peyton Manning or anything like that, but just because he's not that doesn't mean he's not good at it. He, it doesn't mean he can't beat you that way. It's just that he has a more dangerous and lethal, explosive way of beating you, which is with his legs. Now, not everybody can do that. And not every defensive coordinator has a defense built for that. Um, and I don't, I don't know that it's the right thing to do to bring a safety down in the box to try to stop him. It makes it easier for him to be an accurate pocket passer because there's less defenders on him. So that's just a misconception that people have. He's a good passer. I don't know that he's always been put in the best situations to be a good passer. He hasn't always had the best system, whatever the case may be. But to say that a guy is you – don't, you don't fear him as a passer – 
well, I can show you a Monday night football game where he set a record for passing touchdowns, right? I can show you him going for 300 plus yards in multiple games during an MVP season where he passed from the pocket. Um, and I can show you also with that a highlight reel of him embarrassing the league with his feet. So just because he's really, really good at the thing that not a lot of people are good at and he specializes at that doesn't cancel out the good that he can do from the pocket. And of course, the numbers always come up. You know, Twitter is undefeated as far as this kind of a foot in the mouth take. It's a bold take. I, I guess Der Ben Roethlisberger wanted to take it for whatever reason. But the numbers are there. He, he's proven that he can pass from the pocket. Is it what you want to do? Step one with Lamar? Would you rather him pass from the pocket than run for 60 yards and a touchdown on you? Absolutely. But it doesn't mean you don't fear what he can do with his arm. He can make every throw. He can beat you with his arm. He's done it to multiple teams before. Um, and I think the narrative kind of has to shift when you're talking about him. And this probably has to do something with why he's not getting respected the way he should with his contract, or at least the way he feels he should be respected with his contract negotiations, with his resume, is because this narrative continues to persist. Like, you want him to be a pocket passer. Maybe he's not that, but he can do it. Lamar Jackson should be graded for his effectiveness on the field. However he gets it done, he's effective on the field. Let's just leave it at that and stop trying to categorize a guy that's a once-in-a-generation talent and appreciate him for what he is. Caleb Herring, right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Let's break down some of the stories from the UNLV Spring Showcase. That was last Saturday. We haven't had a chance to talk to you since then. Willie Ramirez is here. It's Cofield, Golden Circle, Sportsbook and Bar, Treasure Island. Uh, the quarterbacks combined to go 27 of 58 with two touchdowns and six interceptions. Does Barry Odom have a problem at quarterback? <laughs> no. I don't think he has a problem at quarterback. I just don't think the efficiency of the offense is where it needs to be at this point. And, you know, being out there, you know, it's it a, it a pretty good live scrimmage situation. They were uh, as, as, as clean, I guess, as you could be as far as getting it done by themselves, executing playbook. There was very limited procedural stuff. I think that's kind of what the goal was for spring. I think the quarterbacks took a lot of chances, and that's what you saw reflected in those numbers. Um, they put the ball in, in jeopardy a lot, which is, uh, you know, kind of typical of quarterbacks trying to figure out a new system, still learning the offense. They're, I, would, I don't want to say in the infant stages of install, but they're, they, it's their first time really cutting it loose and going, you know, four quarters, I guess, technically, of, of football live against a defense that's not a scripted sort of practice. Um, so it, it, was, it was definitely the ball was in, at, in jeopardy a little bit more. Um, which you can't really be upset because I'd, I'd rather you get those kind of, you know, risky things or take those risks uh, in the spring when there's time to fix it, time to go back and, and, and fine tune some of that stuff than to be throwing six interceptions maybe in the last fall camp scrimmage uh, or what have you going into the season. Um, but I, we talked about it before the spring game that the defense is usually ahead of the offense when you're installing new systems on both sides of the ball. The defense was definitely ahead. They were a step ahead, a step faster, playing a little bit more confident, uh, playing more loose. Uh, a lot of it may have to do with the fact that the def the offense was going against a 3-3-5. And I've talked about it at length of how difficult it is as a quarterback when there's five DBs out there to eliminate variables and make the right read every single time. And it seemed, especially with a new offense, it, it probably was just a little bit more chaotic than they anticipated from a quarterback spot. And then to go with that, I think just a hard time finding rhythm on the run game. You could see during the spring game how big the ground game will be for UNLV and trying to get that established. Um, and that was another a facet of it uh, that it, it didn't really seem like it got going too much. And there was a lot of third and long situations um, that the quarterbacks were throwing into to try to make those, trying to force those throws down, cover, down, down the field. Um, but 
all in all, I think the spring game got what it needed to get done, which is uh, the last evaluation period going into the offseason for the coaching staff to kind of see what they need to address in the offseason, um, what positions roster-wise they need to fill, and, and where their team is as far as that goes, to see what final touches they can do to add so they have everything they need uh, from a roster standpoint coming into the fall. Uh, I think the beef up front is going to need to be addressed on both sides of the ball. Um, and that's going to be, you know, maybe some immediate help that needs to be done. Um, and then obviously some fine tuning on the perimeter. I think there's some guys that they need to be back healthy. Um, Jeff Weimer, who is, should be a big part of the offense. He's a, a smart physical receiver out on the edges. I think him being back healthy will be good for the outside on the edges. Um, maybe some depth at running back, but a welcome addition um, in the slot, I think, with De Jesus. Uh, he, he showed out in the spring game and, and put a lot of fans on notice in, in multiple ways, by the way, um, uh, with making his name known to the public on, on his spring, day, uh, spring game performance. Speaking with Caleb Herring, former UNLV quarterback, of course, voice of Caleb. You can hear him on game days, hear him on the coaches show. Uh, Jaden Mayava, definitely want to talk about him um, transitioning from that, from your analysis there. Highest rated high school quarterback in UNLV history, according to 24-7 Sports. He's got the prototypical body. I, I was very impressed. Throw the stats away. I was just simply impressed by his poise and his ability to move the offense. My question to you is, from your time out at spring practices, watching him sort of absorb things and take things in, what you've seen from Brumfield, does Jaden Mayava have a chance at any point in time? Of course, anything's possible, but is he a legitimate threat to Doug Brumfield's job? I would say no. And I, I would say that from an idealist standpoint, I think it would be an ideal scenario that he never actually challenges Doug for the starting spot. And that means Doug's playing well, number one. Um, but it's kind of the the secession. And I've been obsessed with the series secession, by the way, Steve. Um, <laughs> just, you know, for another series we can talk about sure. on HBO Max. Um, but that is, um, I think that is kind of what I see the scenario being. Doug being the guy and him being the guy for as long as he's the guy. Whenever he leaves or, you know, uh, graduates and is done with his career, he has the keys to, you know, the Rebel football. And the way it should be is that Mayava is waiting in the wings, in the wings as a young guy developing under Doug. So then when Doug's done, there's a transition to he's the next man up. And there's no search for the next quarterback because he's already on the roster. He's been learning. Hopefully the offensive system will be the same uh, by the time he takes over. So he's had years under his belt of learning, getting that experience in practice, what have you. Um, that would be ideal for me, but I've seen since last year, and Steve and I have talked about this going back to when he was getting reps last season um, with the threes at, at times, um, that he has a, a certain kind of pop to his game, to his arm, to his tempo, that really is something you can't teach. And you couldn't have taught because he was a freshman last year. Um, and he just has a natural kind of rhythm and pace that he plays with that I enjoy. And you saw that in the spring game, getting some of those RPOs out where he was just on time and on target with those things, like he had a sense of the tempo of college football. Now, he was right there with the rest of the quarterbacks putting the ball in jeopardy a few times. Um, some of those picks were his. Um, but you like to see that, I guess, from a young gunner to not be afraid to step up and try to make throws. He also had a couple of throws, connections downfield that were, that were pretty impressive. So I think he's, he's a developing talent, but ideally you would want him to never be in a position where he's challenging Doug right now for the starting job because – Doug's playing well and because he's developing still. I think there's still some a very youthful exuberance to his game, and you can get that from talking to him. And He's, he's very self-critical, <laughs> um, if you heard any of his thoughts after the game. 
Um, so he understands there's there's a road, and he understands that he's going to learn from the guys in front of him. Uh, if if not if if not, that's the most he's going to do. So I think he's in a position where he's willing to do that, be that, and be that sponge behind the guys um, before he steps into his time. And I think his time is going to come, hopefully, at the end of a, a successful Brumfield era. Caleb, good job, and a real good job on the post-game interviews. You can go check those out at Steve Cofield at ESPN Las Vegas. Uh, Caleb talked to uh, several of the players, including Mayava, after the spring showcase. Have a good weekend. We'll talk to you soon. All right, fellas. Enjoy playoff basketball. We will. 65-61, Miami leading Chicago. About a minute left in the third. We'll get you a baseball update. Maybe the Rays won't go 14-0. Miss any of the show? We've got you covered. Head to LVSportsNetwork.com and go to podcast to listen to all of your favorite LV Sports Network shows anytime from any place. Stick your hand in there, Dave. So we are always dying for football content, and that's why I think Ben Roethlisberger on his podcast talking about Lamar Jackson and his pocket passing took off the last day or so. Joy Taylor from FS1 jumped all over it and expressed some frustration like, what do you want out of Lamar Jackson? What are we looking for out of our quarterbacks? Ben Roethlisberger is a Hall of Famer. We would not classify him as a runner. Certainly not in the back half of his career. Correct. He is a Hall of Famer for throwing the ball. And Lamar Jackson has what? One more time for the people. Dave, please, the numbers. Uh, a better passer rating from the pocket. 97.9 versus 94.2. I need answers. Can we please just throw it in the fire together? Just drop him in. Let the smoke rise. Please. Lamar Jackson is an elite quarterback. So what do you think the real story is here? It's tough to say. I, is I, it? I think it's pretty obvious. I think it goes back to the, the stuff before he was in the NFL with Bill Polian. When Bill Polian was asked, hey, is he a quarterback? And Bill Polian's like, man, I think he's better off at wide receiver. I still think there is chatter out there about African-American running quarterbacks, African-American running quarterbacks, where people still want to question it. Now his numbers are there. He's actually, well, by the okay. numbers, he's a better pocket passer than Big Ben. Give me the, uh, the final bite here from Joy. Someone needs to explain to me why it is a problem when they get in the NFL that you're a great runner. Did this with Jalen Hurts. Did it with Jalen Hurts. Maybe it's me. My brain doesn't work that way. I just read the numbers. They make sense. And then I watch the games. And then everyone tells me that it's a bad thing. I can't, I can't get it. I can't I get did. there. Yeah, I just told you. That's what it is. It's what it is. It's black quarterbacks in general that they just have a problem with. Uh, no, I think those who run. I think people have adjusted a little bit on pocket passers. I mean... There are there are warts on the game of Jameis Winston. He's not a runner. People will get on him. No, I think it's it's just it's something that was thought of fifty and six, fifty and sixty years ago. And for some people, it's hard to get rid of. And I'm not saying that Big Ben is racist or anything, but no. I also think it's part of this whole this whole contract thing. And uh, I don't know what's going on where no one else will offer uh, a deal for Lamar Jackson or try to trade for him. I'm not sure what that is. Well, for the most part, the prominent black quarterbacks right now who I mean name one that doesn't run the start I, I don't keep tabs on who they are that's what I'm saying I, I I just think it's 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 overall it's the it's they're looking at the complexion of that position and the color of skin if, if that's the issue it's not just well they run it's you know well the, the they issue don't is have a problem hey, with Josh if, Allen if, if you run can, are you actually a good pocket passing quarterback Josh Allen actually is not a great pocket passing quarterback 
But uh, he doesn't get the, the rash of crap from people because he has the look, because he has the size. But he does run often. They use him as a runner because they know that's one of his big skills. He actually declined last year, the last half of the season, and in the playoffs with his decision-making. Yeah. yeah. Now, if he were Vince Young doing the same thing, I can only imagine the treatment he would get. Very true. But that's, I mean, we're, we're like, we're dancing around this. So let's just get to it. I'm not saying everyone thinks that way, but some people do. The stuff, stuff that existed in football with biases or, you know, preconceived notions, prejudice, 50 years ago doesn't go away instantly in 50 years. It takes time. It takes time, Steve. It's, it takes, it's takes never going to go longer, away. Because, yeah. Yeah, it's never, it's it takes longer than that because you have generations pass it down to other right. generations. That's and right. A lot of the people who are running football, and the well, that's the other the other story that around the NFL, a lot of the people who are running football and judge personnel in the 70s and 80s, guess who's judging personnel and running football now? Their kids. Right. Because of nepotism. Back in the bag. Stick your hand in there, Dave. What a strange story from one Adam Hill. What a strange story yesterday. Did you see this retweeted? No, Weird, I saw. Man. I saw you. I saw it in the rundown, and okay. I and I looked at it. All and right. and do you want to know my? Do I have to be politically correct, or, or can I just outright say what exactly this is? You can do whatever you want, but how about we actually describe the story, deliver the story to the people? Adam Hill did a story: top Vegas sports characters, but. The list of colorful figures in the sports betting poker worlds would be too long to even begin. So just looking at athletes, promoters, political titans who have made their mark on Southern Nevada sports scene makes for a quite a walk down memory lane. Who's on the list that he ranked? Uh, that he ranked or that I think that his editors went in and ranked? Oh, no. Uh, one, Dana White slash Bob Arum. Two, Rod Smart. That was He Hate Me. Three, Oscar Goodman. Four, Billy Johnson. Five, Jerry Tarkanian. And I had retweeted it last night saying, Tark's number five, come on. <laughs> okay, first of all, there is no way. Really good story. It's a great idea by Adam to write the story. Yeah, it was his idea, right? There's no way that Adam Hill brought this story idea to his editor. Somebody came up with this. Somebody, for some reason... We're, we need some stories before the Golden Knights playoff starts, before the RJ or before the NFL draft, and we and the RJ invests everything in the Raiders. Adam was given this story idea for clicks, yeah. And this is who I, these are the names that he came up with for it. Because I got news for you, Rod Smart does not fall on the top five of all time sports figures in Las Vegas, and that, and and Adam sports knows that. characters, sports characters, characters, not figures, characters, characters right. crazy people. I actually, I would love to see this become a series. I think you should do it for each sport. No, I don't think. I don't think. Yes, is. Adam doesn't have time for this. Yes, he does. No. What does he got? He can do a radio show. He writes a little bit. He's got time. Oscar's a character. Put me on sure. that desk. He'll be uh, writing stories. Oscar's Put me on that desk. Thanks to the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar for Ari back in studio. Willie. Cofield and Angel. We'll see you. Have a great weekend.